I'm Jim Brown. I'm the pastor and Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. We go into the Greek text to find out what words mean. We go into the Hebrew text to find out what they mean. We've got an interlinear Bible. It has the Hebrew on the top line of the Old Testament. has the English right under it. It has the in the New Testament. It's got the Greek on the top line. And right under it's got the English. Then we got the... We got the uh, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, which has got every word in the Bible listed alphabetically in it. There's a number to the side of it. If it's an Old Testament word, you look that number up in the Hebrew Dictionary in the back of the concordance. If it's a Greek, if it's a New Testament word, you look that number up in the Greek Dictionary in the back. The New Testament is written in Greek. I've got a title up on the board. I've told you the other day, we talked about the lies of the Baptists. The Baptists are teaching lies. They accept Christ, the sinner's prayer. And they teach a water baptism and all these other false doctrines. Baptized does not mean to dip in water or to sprinkle water. (laughs) You try to tell people these things and they're crazy. They're insane. I said that about the Baptist. I I talked about the insanity of the Baptist church. Now I'm going to talk to you about the insanity of the Pentecostal and the Charismatics. They are insane too. When you look up the word insane in Webster's Dictionary, if you get a Webster's Dictionary, always get the Intercollegiate Dictionary because that'll give you the word origins. It'll tell you GR if it's Greek. When you look up, uh, uh, what's the word I was going agonize. It'll tell you it comes from agon. I've told you that here. That's out of the Strong's. It comes from agon. And the agon was the arena where they fought. Agon. And when you look up agonize, A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I, it will tell you that it comes, and you, you can actually look up agony. Agony comes from the agon. The agon was the arena where they fought and they wrestled with animals and the children and the Christians were killed. That's, well, I can't even find my stool. And it'll tell you if it's come from a Latin source. Don't just get any dictionary. Get one that's got the origins of the words in it. So a lot of times, I, when I say the Webster's Dictionary, I don't mean somebody's opinion. Mr. Webster took this back. It's like you've got imagination. It's a noun from the Middle English. It comes from the Old French imagination, from the Latin imaginatio, and he goes to all of that. And you can find out what the origins are. This is an excellent source of study. It's the Webster's New World Collegiate Dictionary. Be sure it has the word origins in it. Always check it out. And that will help you a lot. Like when I said, when I said the word, uh, when I looked up the first time, I looked up the word stewardship. Or actually, I think the first, first word I looked up was dispensation.
my father preached dispensationalism. I hate that doctrine. That's where they say all time is divided up into dispensations. Dispensation comes from the word dispense. If you put a dollar in a Coke machine, we used to put a nickel in it back in 1950, it dispensed a Coke to us. Now it's a dollar, a dollar and a half, something like that. That's not the word dispense. When I first looked up stewardship and dispensation, I found out they were the exact same word. And they were the word O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-A. And one of the words at the end of the definition says economy. So I decided to look up the word economy in the Webster's Dictionary and it tells you that the origin of the word is from the Greek oikonomia. Oikonomia. They'll tell you that in the Webster's and it'll tell you that in the Strong's Concordance. Use the Webster's along with your Strong's, especially if it has word origins. So I, I, there's a lot of words that I go to the Webster's and they'll tell you that's the word origin. So I'm tired of the Pentecostals, the Baptists, the Church of Christ. I'm tired of all of them. They don't care what the original words are. And we've anybody can be taught to use a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance in very maximum 30 minutes maximum some people get it in 15 or 20 it doesn't take any time to learn that and the Pentecostals are insane they're just literally nuts insanity always reminds me of the man the man that was supposedly called the demoniac that's not a demoniac there's no such thing as demons demons are self and the demoniac in Matthew 8 and in Mark 5 and Luke 8, the demoniac or the man that was running through the tombs and cutting himself and screaming and yelling. And he was crazy. If you And he was naked. You take all your clothes off. I had a guy here in town I used to know. He said his father was had dementia. And the police would catch him running down the road with a bucket in his hand. He was naked and screaming. Oh, that means he's crazy. Well, this demoniac was doing... That's why you need to read all these chapters because the same man, he's not... It doesn't say he's naked in Luke 8. It doesn't say he's naked in Matthew 8. But it says he's naked and screaming and cutting himself all over in Mark 5. And that's the same man as these other chapters. That's why you need to read every account. And uh, and the Bible says about this man that he was possessed with devils. Now what I decided to do one day, years ago, I took my McClinican Strong, got my P volume. First of all, I probably got my D volume, and I couldn't get what I wanted out of that, so I got my P volume and looked up possessed, and it would say possessed. This is well said. With 
devils. Possessed is the key word. But that's the word D-A-I-M-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Demonizomai means to be, and the McClinican Strong will tell you that when you read into it, it will say insane. So possessed with devil mean to be insane. When it said this guy, this man running through the tombs was possessed with devils, cutting himself, the Bible says he was actually insane. Well, if you see some guy naked running around town, cutting himself and screaming, you're going to think he must be crazy. And he was. And then after Jesus cast self out of him, that's what he cast out of him, into the swine. I'm not going to go into that in detail. He said, the man came to his right mind, and when they found the man, they came from out of the town, they found him clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his instruction, and in his right mind. Right mind is the word sophroneo. Right mind means sane mind. He was insane and now he's sane. He was insane, now he's sane. That's really all that is about. The Bible never talks about insanity, but it'll tell you about a man that was possessed with devils. And then you have to define it, but the most of the Pentecostals don't care about that, do they? They don't care what it means. You have to know that in the first century they had every kind of superstition. Every people going around casting spells on one another and going to some witch or some soothsayer and getting to remove the spell and not, and all of that was a waste of time. We know that now. Now, I've been talking about insane. When you when you look in Webster's dictionary, look at insane, it'll tell you that it means to be deranged. Then you look at deranged. It'll say unsound. And all of a sudden, my mind goes to the Bible. Unsound. Paul spoke of sound doctrine. He said, the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. That word sound is the word hugiano, H-U-G. I-A-I-N-O. It means uncorrupt. Words. Uncorrupt words. That's what it's talking about. The Pentecostals and the Baptists, I'm not going to give the Baptists as hard a time I gave them a hard time the other day. The Pentecostals are corrupt to the core. And you can't tell them anything, especially if they're real emotional, going to a real emotional church. They'll say, I know what I feel. They'll say, I'm speaking in tongues. No, you're not. That's your wild, vivid imagination. Because there's two words. I'm going to show you just how crazy. When it goes on to say, unsound. And then it'll um, unsound. Sound is hugiano. Unsound is not, is corrupting the Word of God. That's what the Pentecostals and the Charismatics have done. They don't care what words mean. 
You cannot depart from definition. When you do that, you leave the truth and go into a lie every time. I have gone into hundreds of Pentecostal churches across America. What was I doing there? I was young and stupid. I wasn't stupid. I was ignorant. I was going because I had a gospel group. I sang with the Blackwoods at one time. That was the most famous gospel group in the 50s and 60s. And I couldn't sing with them. They were just a bunch of heathens drinking and cussing and telling dirty jokes. So I left and started my own group. The only place you could make, and I didn't make a living, but I started saying make a living, would be going into Pentecostal churches. You couldn't get into Baptist churches back in the 60s. They say, well, those people are heathens, and they knew it. So I was going into Pentecostal churches all over the country, and I was hearing people speak in tongues and watching people fall on the floor and jerking and getting healed and all this stuff, and none of it was true. That's what provoked me to study this so much. Now, I have I was preaching in Gastonia, North Carolina one time, and uh, while I was preaching, I stayed away from Pentecostalism. I just talked about grace of God and faith and salvation. I was compromising because I was trying to make myself a name in gospel music because we had a really great singing group and I thought we certainly got to be big in this as good as we are. That has nothing to do with whether you're going to make it or not. You've got to make friends at the top. You can't rock the boat. Don't stir the waters. You, They'll say, keep this guy out. And I was always saying things that the stars didn't like. So they put the word out on me. Don't let him in any of the big concerts. Jim Brown is out. And I was hard to get along with it, 28 and 30 years old. Because I'd be, I'd say things plain into their face. So, I went into a lot of Pentecostal churches. I saw some of those ridiculous, outrageous, stupid things. I was in that church in Gastonia. And I'm preaching, and all of a sudden, one lady jumps up and starts, And she sat down, and this other woman stood up right behind her. And I just stepped back and went, Oh, God. And the preacher didn't like it because I did that. So he put the word out to the other Pentecostal churches, don't let Jim Brown come in and you'll never come back here. Good. (laughs) But I saw all of that. I was in Houston, Texas. And a guy was on the floor just spreading, just jerking when we left. I was singing with another group, first group I sang with. And he was just jerking on the floor, and we went off to eat, and about three hours later, come back, and he's still on the floor jerking. You cannot tell me that is the Holy Spirit. I bet you if I'd have gone up to him and got real close to his ear and said, if you don't get up from here, I'm going to kick you in the head. I'll guarantee you he would have stood up. If it was the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't have stood up. That's nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It's their imagination. Now, There's two words. They don't care that you define the word tongue. There's the word. These are two words for tongue. Colossa and dialectos. D-I-A 
L-E-K-T-O-S. The word dialectos is our word dialect. This, it, they, they don't understand this. Glossa is our word foreign language. It's actually, we get the word glossary from that. Glossary is a section of a book, usually in the back of a book. If it's a real intellectual type book, it'll have a glossary in the back. So you can look in the glossary, look that word up, and it'll tell you what it means. It's usually a word that's foreign to the average reader. And so glossa means foreign language. Now what in the world are they doing with foreign languages in Acts 2? And dialectos is our word dialect. They had a different dialect throughout the world in every city-state. Where is that? Here it is, down here. They had a different dialect. Let me get over to my favorite map. Had a different dialect in every city-state. But the Pentecostals are not going to look at this, and they don't going to tell what you say about it. They're crazy. They're insane. I love to get on further in defining insanity. It means the inability to think rational. They can't think rational. You can say, here's the definition. They'll say, I know what I think. I know my experience. I know what my father and my mother was, my grandparents. Don't matter. If they were wrong, they're wrong. And when you get over here into the world of the first century, when Alexander the Great was here running the world as head of the Grecian leopard empire, now he's, that's the leopard that overthrew the bear. The bear was Persia. When he was here running things in the world, when Alexander the Great, you have to understand this is the Greeks. They overthrew the Persians, which is which is uh, Pakistan, Iran, and so forth. They overthrew. They were over, they overthrew the Babylonians, which is Iraq, and then they were overthrown by the Greeks. Alexander the Great. When Alex the Great come on the scene, he gave all of the world, all of its languages. Now, the Pentecostals don't care about this. They, they can tell you they had an experience. And gave them their languages. He gave them all of their culture. Gave all of the world all of their philosophies. You have people like Epicurus. You had people like Zeno who started Stoicism. You had all of these philosophers. And he gave all of the world all this culture. In the language he gave the world all of its dialects of the Greek. The common street language was called koine, K-O-I-N-E. That's the word common. We get the word koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, which is the word fellowship. It's also the word communion. And it means to be a partaker. 
comes from that. It means to have everything common. Well, let me read something to you. I've read it to you before. Here is a man. This is a book by G. Gresham Machen. G. Gresham. G-R-E-S-H-A-M. Gresham Machen. Everyone that went to seminary and took Greek back in the 30s, 40s, 50s know who this man is. One of the most reputable men that's ever written a book. This is his book on New Testament Greek for beginners. It's not not like something you just read uh, Dick and Jane or see Dick run. It's not like that. It's, It's pretty heavy stuff. And he starts this off in an introduction. He nearly every seminary used his book to teach first year Greek. This was all over America. And he he's highly respected among all Greek teachers. He's been dead for some years. And he says during the classical period, the Greek language was divided in a number of dialects of which there were three great families. Of all these dialects, they had a different dialect in the world in every city-state. Wherever a city, a city-state was where a city ruled to the border. This is Nashville. The border would be Kentucky over here on the western or here in the eastern over in the Carolinas or down here in Alabama. That would be a city-state where the city, the capital city, ruled to. So every city-state had a different dialect of the common street language. Mr. Mr. Gresham will tell you that, all about it. He was one of the true experts of Greek. And then he says, since they had a different dialect, what does this have to do with Acts 2? Well, don't ask the Pentecostals because they don't care. And he says they had these different families, the Doric, the Doric dialect, and that was just a family of dialects. Could have been many dialects in it. Doric. And then they had the Aeolic, A-E-O-L-I-C, A. E O L I C, and they had the the Ionic I O N I C. These were just families of the dialects. You say, Jim, do I have to memorize all that? No, that's just to show they had them. He'll tell you all about it in this introduction. He goes into it and talks about Philip of Macedon, which was Alexander the Great's father, and how that. During the time of Jesus, they didn't. The Romans were very barbaric. They were slaughtering and butchering the Christians in the Agon, and that's why when Paul said, "Fight the good fight of faith," he said, "Agonizomai, the good Agon." He used the Greek language. What does this have to do with Acts two? It has everything to do with it. You had all these families of dialects. I'll leave this up here. You had glossa and dialects. That's all you had in Acts 2, 
you had glossa and dialects. In 1 Corinthians 14, this is one of the favorite chapters of the of the Pentecostals, you had only glossa. You had no dialects in 1 Corinthians 14. How do you know that? I've looked it all up. So, what does this have to do with Acts 2? Well, it has to do with Christmas. <laughs> That's what's funny. Because Israel, because Israel went after the same sun and tree gods that Constantine brought in the church, sun and tree gods, he brought it into the church because he thought he was going to lose the empire to all these Goths, Visigoths, Vandals, Burgundians, uh, Franks, all of these pagans, he thought he was going to lose the empire. So he said, we'll bring all of their sun and tree goddesses in the church into the corrupt church at Rome and we will tell the Christians they could come in and we will turn all of these pagan festivals into Christian festivals. And you cannot clean, make an unclean thing clean. So we're going to make them Christian. That's who could make a clean thing out of unclean? Not one. So they kept going after Bell and the Grove for 500 years. 510 years to be close, 510. And God had promised them, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and then I'll send the beast, and the beast will carry you away into captivity. And that happened. They were carried all over the world. Southern Judah was carried over into Babylon. Northern Israel was carried away by the Assyrians up here uh, between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea and the Caucasus Mountains. The Caucasus were the, the Assyrians, and they were barbaric. So they were all carried away. When Alexander the Great gets here, he's given all of the world all of its different dialects. And God gives Israel in Exodus 23... He tells all of the males, you have to come back. You have to come back to Israel for every all of our feast. If you're dedicated and devoted to God, for, to Passover, which is a month, Nisan, and that's our month, March, April. March, April. And then you have to come back for 50 days later for Pentecost, and you have to come back in the seventh month, which is our month, September, September, October, and you have to come back in that for the Feast of Ingathering, which was the same thing as a Feast of Huts, and it was coupled with the Day of Atonement. And all the dedicated males had to come back not just in Exodus 23, there's several times God states that. They had to come back from all over the world. But they were carried away. Northern Israel was carried away in 722 B.C. And then by the time they'd been in, they'd been in 722 years before Christ, and then in 33 A.D., you've got the Acts, the second chapter, you've got Pentecost. And they're all speaking... Glossa and dialects, and I'll show you that. So they were speaking glossa and dialects, and and they had a different di they had a different dialect in northern Israel than they had in southern Judah. They had a Sumerian dialect up there. They had a different dialect in Syria 
and in Egypt, a different dialect. Here in what they called Asia and had several dialects in Asia. And when these Jews were coming from every nation under heaven, they had been in these foreign lands 722 years, northern Israel and and southern Judah. They had been from 586 B.C., down to 33 A.D., so that's over 600 years southern Judah's been, and they got all of these dialects, and all these people are coming back from all over the world. I don't know of anybody else that has studied this the way I have. Even the Baptists try to talk their way around the dialects, and all they have to do is use a concordance and go into the ancient world. And these men will tell you these were different dialects. There's a book by Samuel Angus called Mystery Religions. He'll tell you all about these dialects they had in every different city-state. Now here's, I got this out of the compendia. I'm trying to tell you about the Pentecostal and Charismatic lives. Uh, Let me see here. All right, well. Well, I can't get it to go that way. I can't go all the way around this other way. All right. I got this out of the compendia. This is a set of books. It's fantastic. It was started in uh, 1964. It was a relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. And some of the best scholars wrote the compendia. C-O-M-P-E-N-D-E-I-A. Here it is right here. Well, I can't get it to go back. I went past it. There it is. This is a map out of the compendia. I've got 11 volumes on that, and I, they put one out about every two years, and I haven't gotten any in the last 20 years. So they've probably got a lot more. But you've got the Jews in the first century, and they're coming back from all over the world due to God's commandment to all of them. But they have been in captivity for all those years, so they're all speaking a different dialect of the common street language in their city-state. And they all come back to Israel. If you notice, all those errors are pointing back to Israel for those three Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering. They all had, they were required if they were devout men to come back. And they all come back, but they can't understand each other. They're all speaking different dialects of the common Greek language. What are they going to do? They started 200 B.C., according to the compendia. They started building synagogues in Jerusalem. They'd build an Assyrian synagogue. They would build a Babylonian synagogue. They would build a synagogue for Egypt. They'd been scattered all these lands. They'd build a synagogue for over here in Cyrene. Remember, remember Simon the Cyrenian helped Jesus to bear his cross? He had come from here to this feast. And then they had 
they had all they had all of these dialects from Rome, from all over the world. They couldn't understand, so they started building synagogues for all these various people. Two hundred years before the Pentecost of Acts two. So what they did, they would come back and go to their various synagogues where they could communicate with each other. Now, the compendium says at the Acts 2 Pentecost, there could have been as many as 12 million Jews. Where in the world did they stay? They said you could go outside the city and look over the plains and there were tents all over the plains as far as you can see. And they all came back, and they're all speaking a different dialect, and they can't understand one another unless they go to their personal synagogue. And that's what Acts 2 is about. And that's what one of the big mistakes of the Pentecostals is about. Now, look at Acts 2, because I'm just going to show you, and then I'm going to get on with the other part of the message. And he says, you won't understand this unless you understand what I've just said to you. If you can get the compendia, that's a pretty expensive book. It's probably $130 or $40. Fantastic books. You need to get the first two volumes, about volume one and two, about the Jews and in the first century. Get the first two volumes. And it says here in... It says here in... Well, it talks about on the day of Pentecost, uh, there suddenly came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. Now, you're not going to know what that means unless if you've got... and If you've got a... Uh, uh, Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion. Everything they have in Hastings is in sections. They've got a section that's called Disposal of the Dead. Everything in the Hastings, it'll have Disposal of the Dead in Egypt, Disposal of the Dead among the Christians, and it'll be two or three pages that have disposal of the dead among the other peoples of the world. I was reading on the disposal of the dead one day of the Babylonians. Why would that be interest to me? Because Israel was carried away captive by Babylon, and they were in Babylon for 600 years, so they knew all about their idioms and their figures of speech. So when the Bible says... There was a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind in disposal of the dead in Hastings. Disposal of the dead of the Babylonians, it will say. Rushing mighty wind was a Babylonian expression for breath. So that's talking of the breath of God, the Holy Spirit coming down. You never know what you're going to read by reading these books. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues. Now this cloven is very, very interesting. The Pentecostals have come up with cloven tongues being something like this, painted red. And over the heads of these people. That's not what it means. The word cloven is the word diamorizo. Dia, D-I-A, 
M-E-R-I-Z-O. When you see a picture, a Pentecostal picture, and it's got a bunch of guys with these over their head, that's not what it's talking about. You go in to get your get your McClinical Strong, or get your Strong's Concordance. Diamorizo means to petition off tongues. It means a petitioning off. Here's the Ethiopian dialect being spoken. Here is the Mesopotamian dialect being spoken. Here's the Egyptian dialect being spoken. Here is the Roman dialect being spoken. It was the tongues were petitioned off. That's what it means. And there were cloven tongues like as of fire. What is a tongue of fire? Does anybody remember that? You should remember that. That's when a man is speaking the truth out of his mouth. God said in Jeremiah 5 and 14, Jeremiah 5 and 14, Is not my word a fire? And Israel is wood and it will consume them. He's saying his, that's like the two witnesses. When fire comes out of their mouth, it doesn't mean they're flamethrowers in Revelation 11. It means fire out of the mouth of one of God's prophets is the truth that's going to destroy people. So that's the same thing here. There were tongues of fire. It means the word of, without understanding the figures of speech in the culture, you're never going to understand this. People that think the Bible is literal and these are these are flaming tongues of fire over their heads. It's it's crazy. That wouldn't mean nothing when it comes to figuring it out, would it? And it says Coven tongues, I said fire, and it sat upon each of them. It didn't sit in one sense, it settled on them. The word set sit upon each of them is a word it means to sit. It hovered. It was a foreign language coming out of their mouth in truth. And then it says, And there was dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven because they were required to be there. So they're all coming. And the reason they were scattered was because they went after the sun and Dragons. Because they went after Christmas. Can you read verse 4? Well, I'm not through. Can I finish this, Mike? Well, no, I've got to read more than that. Will you let me do that? I don't know where he come off of that. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is the same word as Holy Spirit. They were filled with truth. As the, and began to speak with other tongues. When you're in a Pentecostal church, they'll say, this is other tongues. They say these stupid things. If they knew how ridiculous they sounded. Other tongues. Hetero glossa. H E T E R O. 
glossa. Other, hetero, that's a Greek word. A heterosexual is other sex. But this is not talking about other sex. It's talking about other foreign languages. That's what it's talking about. Other, glossa. Glossa means foreign languages. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Now everybody thinks utterance means to say guttural sounds. That's not utterance. Utterance is the word apophthangomai. A-P-O. Apo, P-H, T-H, A-G-G-O-M-A-I. Apophthangomai. Phthangomai means to speak. It means to set off. The speaking so clearly to be easily understood. Now here's the amazing thing. If you look at, if you have a, a word study concordance, you look up that word apophthangomai and it'll show you that it's mentioned three times in the Bible. Three times. Apophthangomai. It's mentioned here, utterance, and it's mentioned in verse 14, Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said. Said and utterance the exact same word. Peter didn't say Shandalakanda Mandala Shanda Shua. He didn't say that. He said unto them, Ye men of Judea. That doesn't sound like guttural sounds, does it? So utterance and said, exact same word. And then you choose one at a time over in Acts, the 26th chapter. Paul is standing before Festus. Festus is not Festahagin off a of gun smoke. He, is, he was one of, the, one of the Roman princes or one of the Roman governors. And after Paul is telling of all of his experiences, Verse 24, chapter 26 of Acts. Here's another word that's the exact same word, apophthangomai. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're crazy. Paul, thou art beside thyself. Beside yourself means to be out of your mind. Much learning doth make thee mad. All this learning you've had, Paul, has made you a crazy man. And then Paul says, and he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth. That's the word. It's one word in the Greek, speak forth. Apophthangomai. Same word as utterance in Acts 2. Same word as it's said in Acts 2.14. Same word. I don't know why they put these different words in here. But speak forth the words of truth. Aletheia. I take the cover off. And I'm doing it soberly. I'm not drunk. So. And then. Go back to Acts 2. But the Pentecostals don't care. They're crazy. They can't think rational. And then he says. They 
as the Spirit gave them utterance, and there was dwelling at Jerusalem, devout men out of every nation under heaven. What were they doing from every nation? They had been scattered because they went after the Christ bath system for 500 years. And they'd been carried away captive for six to 750 years, both northern Israel and southern Judah. So they were coming back from all over the world with all these dialects. But Pentecostals don't care about that. It's just, it's crazy. And then, verse 6, And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own dialectos, dialect, wherein he, everybody heard him speaking his own dialect. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak redneck Galileans? You see, Galilee was considered the redneck area of Israel. The Pharisees ruled in the north. They were the educated, highly educated. Northern Israel was called Samaria or the land of Ephraim. And they had never received any decrees to come back from their captivity. The only ones that came back during the days of Jesus, the decrees were given to southern Judah. I'm not going to go into all that. But the northern Israel was considered, I keep saying this, northern Israel, when the Syrians come in to carry them away, this is southern Judah, and then northern Israel was comprised of the ten northern tribes led by the son of Joseph, his second-born son Ephraim. So, and the Pharisees, they hated northern Israel. They hated Nazareth. They said Nazareth was the pit hole of the earth. It was the septic tank of the world. To say Jesus of Nazareth was like saying Jesus of the septic tank. They said nothing honorable is in Nazareth. So when, when the Syrians came in, they not only came in and carried northern Israel away, that was in 722, B.C. They intermarried with them and stayed there in northern Israel. That's why the Pharisees wouldn't step foot in northern Israel. They hated it. And that's why they kept calling Jesus a Samaritan. Samaria was another name for northern Israel. They said he had the devil. Only Samarians have devils. Because he was from Nazareth. And northern Israel was Samaria or the land of Ephraim or northern Israel. So, so what you've got, you've got Jews from every nation. Look here. And then they said, how hear we ever man in our own, not Pentecostal tongue. How hear we ever man in our own dialect, dialectos, wherein we were born. There were Jews here from over here in Ephesus, and they were hearing in the Ephesian dialect. This was the miracle of God. It was a miracle of the ear, not the miracle of the tongue. And the men from Cyrene, that 
man that came to Passover and he was Simon, Simon the Cyrenian he helped to bear Jesus' cross. He was hearing in his Cyrenian dialect when he was over there. It's, I know this is too much detail for Pentecostals to study. I don't mean to be insulting, but what you people are doing is just made up a bunch of stories that are a lie. What you've done is the same thing that Baptists have done. You've made yourself a name and a, a shim, an authority. And your authority is twisted and perverted. It's not definition. I'll tell you what, what, what provoked me to do this more than anything else was the fact that I traveled in those Pentecostal churches as a gospel singer. I never saw such foolishness in my life. I was always a thinker. I knew something was bad wrong, and I hadn't studied it at 26 and 27 years old like I have now. I saw all kinds of books written on it by men who were trying to disprove it, and none of them went to the Greek language or the Greek history. And then it says, these were Parthian Jews, Medes Jews. The Medes were the Persians. So he's saying these were Jews from over here in Persia. They were... He said they were Medes Jews. They were Elamite Jews. That's a section of Babylon, which is on the Euphrates River. A section over here. They were Jews from the Babylonian area. Then, he says they were Mesopotamian Jews. Mesopotamia means between the rivers. It's an ancient word. It means between the Tigris and between the Euphrates River. These are the Tigris and the Euphrates River. They're Jews from this area here. And they were hearing in their dialect. And then he says, Dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea, which was the, that was the mountains around Jerusalem or the hills around Jerusalem, and Cappadocia. There were Jews from up here in Cappadocia, what we call Turkey. There were Jews from everywhere. And they were, let me re remember something, in verse 5, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. The fact that they were devout were they were Jews coming from all over the world trying to keep these festivals. That's why they were devout. Devout means, means exactly that. Eulabes. Religious, circumcised Jews. E-U-L-A-B-E-S is the word devout. E-U-L-A-B-E-S. This is the insanity of the, of the Pentecostal movement. The charismatics are taking over the world. I don't know if you know that. To be a charismatic, you can be a Pentecostal. You can be a Catholic. You can be a Baptist to be a charismatic. They don't ever talk about their personal beliefs on TBN. TBN has propagated that doctrine more than anything in the world. 
because TBN goes all over the world. They call it Trinity Broadcasting Network. We call it DBN, the Devil's Broadcasting Network, because that's what it is. And then it goes on. Let me read this here. They were Jews from Cappadocia, from Pontus, which is lower Turkey, from Asia, which is western Turkey. That's what they called Asia. From Phrygia, from Pamphylia, and in Egypt. These were Jews from Pamphylia and Phrygia up here and Egypt down here. They were Jews from every nation. That's what it's talking about here. Pamphylia in the parts of Libya about Cyrene. I pointed that out to you a while ago. Cyrene. Where Simon the Cyrenian was from. And they were coming back to participate in the, in the Pentecost. And then he says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our glossa, the wonderful works of God. Cretes, here's Crete, and Arabians. They were from all over the world. Speaking different dialects. That's the insanity, the craziness of the charismatics and Pentecostals. They don't care what anything means. They just don't care. I got a younger brother. He was he was one of the spokesmen at TBN up the street. Him and his wife, Mary Dean and Mary Brown. Dean is an idiot. He'd go in there and approve of everything they were saying. And he doesn't know that if you're real popular, you're an enemy of God. Friendship with the world is enemy against God. And he got mad at me one night on the phone and said, this is when we were meeting in the basement of our home when we first started this ministry. And he said, you meet in the garage. He liked to insult me, so he said garage instead of basement. You mean the garage and we're worldwide. I should have said, Dean, you're worldwide liars is what you are. Because he didn't, my younger brother didn't believe anything. He didn't even believe in the tongues. He didn't believe in the faith healing. He just had married a Pentecostal woman. And so he just fell in and cooperated. And he didn't know that if you're worldwide, that's an indictment against you. You cannot be worldwide and be loved by God. That means woe in you when all men speak well of you. Friendship of the world is enmity against God. It makes me sad because I believe my younger brother's a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction because he doesn't care what the truth is. I told him one night, I said, Dan, you need to repent of your sin. He said, I'm not going to repent to you. I said, you can't repent to me. you got to repent to God. He just, but he's not any more foolish than all the rest of them are. They're all foolish. You can't tell them anything. What I said to my brother is what they would all say back to me. We're worldwide. That's, that's crazy. Well, do you know that if you're friends with the whole world, you're God's enemy? I just, 
it, that has, I didn't always correct my brother. I, he made his way up by compromise. He got to the top of TBN became one of their favorite singers and one of their favorite interviewers and he was always doing these things on there and every time I'd see him on there it made me sick oh god and I I did what some of you do or have done I cut slack for him all my life when he was about 14 he moved in with me and my wife and I tried to help him. He quit school in the 10th grade, and there's nothing wrong with that because he never could get along with anybody. And I tried to talk to him, and I was about 22, and he was about 14. And he would, uh, he wasn't serious about anything. If I talked to him about something intellectual, sometimes I'd mention something about algebra. He'd say, Jimmy, I don't know nothing about that stuff. Don't talk to me about that. And he gets on TV and tries to act like an intellectual. He's about, an intellect, about as intellectual as a turtle out here in the field. He doesn't know nothing about the Bible. And I tried to talk to him. He would not listen. That's the way they all are. He was very famous on TBN, but he's an idiot. My little brother is dumber than a tractor seat. He's stupid as a rock. Knows nothing about this book. Anyway, I'm going to give you some other things about the Pentecostals. It's, they're insane. They don't care what things mean. They believe in faith healing. This is a part of their insanity. Faith, I have a t-shirt. I walked into a Kroger grocery store the other day and it says on the back of the shirt, if faith could heal, people would not die of old age. <laughs> and a woman walked up by me and she said, I like that shirt. I said, isn't it amazing? The most famous faith healers, Oral Roberts, more famous than any faith healer that's been around in the last hundred years. He died of pneumonia. I said, why didn't he call Benny Hinn and have him come and lay hands on him and heal him? And I said, something else I can't understand. Why did Oral Roberts build one of the biggest hospitals in America in Tulsa, Oklahoma, when all he had to do was call the people and say, everybody on up in line, and we'll heal all of you one at a time. You won't have to spend any money. But they built uh, one of the top, top hospitals in the country at Oral Roberts University. And he dies of pneumonia. And Kenneth Hagin, who started the charismatic movement, he died of a heart attack. And he brought this, he got this positive confession movement from a man named E.W. Kenyon who studied in the Far East the Hindus and how that they believe that everything is full of vibrations and they'll, you can go over there and look you up a guru in India and the guru would tell you to lay down on these crystals on this bed and they've got all these positive vibrations they'll heal your body. You believe that? No. If you believe that, I've got some swampland in Louisiana I'd like to talk to you about selling you. It's just a 
con is what they're... And E.W. Kenyon brought that to America and he preached it and Hagen, Kenneth Hagen got a hold of it. He organized a positive confession college there in Tulsa right next door to Oral Roberts College, his Tulsa University. He And they all say they believe in that and Kenneth Hagen died of a heart attack. Why? Why don't they heal them? There's no such thing as faith healing. No such thing. Everybody gets old and their heart, their cardiac, which is their heart system, or their blood system, wears out and they die. That's you and me too. Or their pulmonary system, their breathing system gives out and they die. You would never have to die. There's no manual, there's no medical manual that you can look up old age in it. There's no such thing as uh, a disease called old age. They're just old age and it is cardiac failure. It's pulmonary failure. I told one of my doctors the other day, I said, Dr. Smith, I said, this, these people preach this faith healing. I said, you're a doctor. You know that we all die of old age and one of our systems fails and gives out. He said, I know that. Like I was telling him something. He didn't, he didn't want to be told. I said, you know that. They're lying. And that's one of the things they do is lie. Every time, every time, how can you find this out? Use this word study concordance. Look up whole. Every time Jesus healed somebody, and he'd say, Thy faith has made thee whole. Every time he said whole, every time he said, Thy faith has made thee whole, every time he says, Faith makes whole. The word whole, every time, is sozo. It's the word saved. Faith doesn't heal, it saves. What about the woman with the issue of blood over there in Mark? What about her? Jesus said to her, Thy faith has made you sozo. Now go and be whole of thy plague. He said, Thy faith has made thee whole. Now go and be whole. Those are two different words in the Greek. The first word, whole, is sozo, it saved her. Then he said, go and be H-U-G-I-E-S, hugius, physically cleansed, since I'm a living God and since you believe in me and I heal who I want to, go and be physical. Hygiene, we get our word hygiene from that word hugius. Going to be physically cleansed. But he didn't heal her body because of her faith. He saved her because of her faith. Every time the Bible says that, thy faith has made thee holy. Sozo. Sozo means to be taken from one point all the way to another point. To be, it's the word saved, it's the word sozo. And it means to be preserved and protected through the entire deliverance. It saved her. It didn't heal her. But he did heal her because he was God. And he healed who he wanted to. And then there's another doctrine. 
of the, the craziness of the Charismatics and the Pentecostals. They say, they all pick this up in their churches. They get people down there at the front and they whack them in the head. And the people fall down on the floor and say, I got slain in the spirit. Now to slay means to kill. Doesn't it? Slay. You go over to John 6. It's like these guys have never even looked anything up to see if it was true or not. John 6. This is the insanity of the Pentecostals. John 6. All right. Verse 63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. Quickeneth is the word Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. Poeo means to make zoo. You go to a zoo to see living animals. It means alive. To make alive. The Spirit makes alive. It doesn't kill. Good night, you guys. Are you crazy? Yeah, they are. They're really out of their minds. They can't think rational. I know what I think, and I know what happened in my service. It wasn't your service. It was your imagination. It was your circus. Not a service. Good night. And then... They have got so much false doctrine and so much error. They say God wants everybody healed. Why is it in John 6 when Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, there's a whole group of people there lying, waiting to be healed. And he trips through all of them and says, excuse me, sir, excuse me, excuse me. And he goes over this one man and said, wilt thou be made whole? He didn't say, would all of you like to be healed here? He said, you, just you. It's what they say is nuts. The Charismatics and the Pentecostals are crazy. They don't know what anything means. I could spend all day long talking about them. They have so many false doctrines and they just completely depart from definition. Kenneth Copeland loves to read that in Mark. This is one of his favorite verses. In Mark, the second chapter, there's one man born of four and he's got palsy. He's been sick from birth. And the four men are carrying him and they take him to the roof of a house. You have to know that the roofs of the house were flat. And they had a staircase going up the side of the roof. And they put tiles on the top so they could dry their, their figs and their wheat up on top of the house. They took one of the tiles up, took the man down through the roof of the house... Jesus saw their faith, all four of them, all five of them, actually the man on the, that was being carried on the pallet. He saw their faith and he looked at the man and said, 
thy sins be forgiven thee. And boy, the Sadducees were there and they said, What? Who could forgive sins but God? He was showing that he was God. And he looked at these Sadducees and Pharisees. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. That you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He turned to the sick of the palsy and said, You rise up and walk. He didn't heal the man because of his faith. He healed, he healed the man to prove who he was to these lying Pharisees. That's the only reason he healed him. And Kenneth Copeland would say, He received his healing. He didn't receive nothing, you ignoramus. The Bible doesn't even say that. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to die one day of old age. It's the way it works. That's the way life is. I'm 83. I'm not going to live all that much longer. Don't come up to me and say, Oh, you might live to be 100. I don't want to live to be 100. I'm going to be walking around not able to stand up. Are you kidding? Why would I want to stay here when I can go be with Jesus? I love that name. I love him. He's going to rescue me. And can you imagine? As soon as you die, you're not sick anymore. You don't have any pain anymore. You don't have any worries anymore. No bills anymore. Why wouldn't you want to go be with him instead of being healed? That's the lies of the Pentecostals and the Charismatics. And they got a whole bunch more. A whole bunch more lies. They just say so many things that's... They're just insane. They don't care what these things mean, these maps. Get the compendium, read about that. That'll tell you all about the lying. There's no such thing as Pentecostal tongues. I didn't say I didn't believe in Pentecost. I don't believe in Pentecostalism. It's one of the biggest lies that's propagated throughout the world. And it's not that I'm a genius. Don't take a brilliant man to look these words up. You understand that? I'm, am I willing to stand against all the Pentecostals? You can put all of the leading Pentecostal preachers in a stadium down, in Titan Stadium down here, and I'll stand out there with a the microphone and say, all you guys are going to go to hell if you don't repent. I'm not afraid of other preachers. Especially when you know the meaning of the Greek words. We've got a... Preachers in the world are insane. That's what they are. What does the Bible say about this? It says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Look at one other thing about Pentecostalism. Look over here in Matthew 24. These guys don't even stop and think as to whether... I'm reading out of the King James Bible, but if I have to, I'll go back to the Greek text. The apostles come to Jesus and say, Lord, we want to show you all the temple of Herod and all the building. I saw a special and it said it was about 28 acres. And Herod had added all of these places to sit down in these little parks and so forth. And Jesus said, there's going to come a time when one stone will not be left upon another and all of this will be 
come down. He was talking about Titus, the Roman general, is going to come in 70 A.D. and destroy all this temple. Well, the apostles say, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of thy coming? Perusia. The word coming means physical arrival. When are you going to show your physical arrival? Well, that's a that's one of the things that he corrects. Jesus corrects the Pentecostals and the Charismatics two thousand years before they are even born. And so Jesus began to say, "Take heed that no man deceive you." Planeo means to roam, seduce you to leave the narrow way. He said, many will come saying, I'm Christ. They'll even say that I'm Christ. And they'll deceive many. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. A nation rise against nation. Remember the original question. What's going to be the sign of your physical arrival? And God will deliver you to, up to be afflicted. You'll be killed. Many will be offended. Shall betray one another. And many false prophets shall arise in verse 11. Because the iniquity shall abound. Anomia shall abound. The agape will wax cold. Because the unlawfulness, the lawlessness abounds. Walking in God's commandments will wax cold. And that's where the world is right now. They're not walking in God's divine commandments. But. He that shall endure to the end endures the word hupomeno. It is the verb form of patience. Hupomeno. Patience is hupomone. The trying of your faith works patience. That's what's going to cause you to endure. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. That happened at Pentecost when Jews from every nation under heaven heard. When you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that's where the temple was defiled. The temple now is us. And the sacrifice ceases. That's giving our bodies a living sacrifice. Let them which are Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are on the housetop not come down to take things out of his house. And then he goes on down here and says, verse 21, Then shall be great tribulation such as is not from the beginning of the world to this time known or ever shall be. And except those days be shortened, there shall no Elect flesh be saved. They're going to start killing the believers. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And then he says, he answers that part of their question. What's going to be the sign of your perusia, your physical arrival? He says, if any man shall say unto you, here is Christ over here. Here's Sun Yen Moon, he's the Christ. Here's the Christ over here, head of another culture, another occult. 
he's out here in the temple, the Mormon temple, and the Mormon head of the Mormon temple talks to Jesus in that private room. Here's what the Bible says. Don't believe it. There shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall be great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they would deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall... Verse 26. If they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. That's... It's like God was talking to the Jehovah's Witnesses in 1914. The Jehovah's Witnesses sold their houses and their homes and gave away all their property and went out in the desert to wait for Jesus to pick them up. They missed that a long way, didn't they? So their excuse was say, he came spiritually, but they had to go back home and ask the Jehovah's Witness church if they could have their house back that they'd given to him. Go not forth, behold, he's in the secret chamber. They say in the Mormon temple, he's in a secret chamber, and they talk to him. If a grandmother says, in my bedroom, which is a secret chamber, I saw Jesus at the end of my bed. She's been taking some kind of drugs that night, smoking something, sniffing something. Because Jesus said, that's not true. Believe it not now. Well, Roberts said he saw a 900-foot Jesus out beside his prayer tower. He's Pentecostal. Jesus said 2,000 years before old Roberts was born, there's going to be a man saying he sees me by his so-called prayer tower. Don't you believe that man? Don't believe old Roberts. He lies through his teeth. Old Roberts died. What I believe he went, I believe he went to hell. He was not a preacher of truth. I don't see how he could have got into heaven. He didn't believe in daily cross, death to self, self self-denial. He absolutely didn't believe in being hated by the world. Or Roberts couldn't have gone to heaven. So if anybody says they've been talking to Jesus, say, well, I don't think so. Jesus said that's not true. And then he said, the next time the world sees me, it'll be as the lightning shines, comes out of the east and shineth even to the west. How does the light shine from the east to the west? It goes all the way around the world, doesn't it? That's why every eye shall see him. I don't know how they'll look through and see the coming of the Lord if they're down here at the South Pole, but they'll see him. And then they've got this pre-trib rapture of the Baptist and the Pentecostals. And the Bible says in verse 29, after the tribulation of those days, that's when the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. That's talking about the moon dying because it's not getting a reflection from the sun and the sun is going to be the light. And when you read the Micah, the third chapter, the sun will go down on the prophets and it'll be darkness. They'll not have a vision anymore. So this is what this is. It's the false doctrines that's going on in the world. I was going to teach on the kingdom of God again today. Do I have any time, Mike? I don't have much time to get into it. I might say a little bit about it. I'll come back to it next week. 
I just want you to know these churches are not telling the truth. My younger brother joined up with them. He thinks he can get mad at me and nasty at me, and it will affect me. It doesn't affect me, Dean. I know that if you don't repent, you'll die in your sin. You'll be in hell one day. My little brother is very crooked, very devious, and very underhanded. My family resents me because he was in charge of my mother and father's funeral. He was the executor that they appointed. They appointed a crook and a thief in charge. When my father died, I did not go to his funeral. I was not going to be in the same funeral home or church or town as Dean. He's one of the most corrupt people I've ever been around. I heard him to sing with me one time. When I was preaching, he'd go out on the front steps of the church and sit there while I was preaching. I just, I let him by with everything. I let him get by with lying and cheating and stealing. I got a lot of stories about him. And I kept saying all my life, those Pentecostals and charismatics are corrupting my little brother. I woke up at 49 years old. I had let him off the hook when I wouldn't let my mother, my father, my other brother, my other, my sister. I wouldn't let him off, but I let him off. I woke up and I was 49, and I said, Dean is 41, 42. If you run with the enemy for 25 years, you are the enemy. Boy, that was a... I woke up to that. And I had never woke up to it before. I was just cutting slack for him. Maybe you've done that to somebody in your family. So I started calling him down for his sin. And all I got was screaming back in the face. I said, you can't do this, Dane. you got to repent. He doesn't believe in repentance, evidently. He's corrupt. I didn't go to my mother's funeral. I wasn't going to be there for the Dean Brown show with him singing and her singing and having him having said, you meet in the garage and we're worldwide. You're very foolish, Dean. You'll die and go to hell if you keep thinking that. I just, I had to just stop having anything to do with him. I knew he was in charge. He was executor of the estate. I'm not going to be there. I don't go to funerals where I'm not wanted. I would have ended up calling him down. He would have ended up yelling at me, and I'd say, I'm leaving, going back to Nashville. Stay away from people who don't believe God. Withdraw from even brothers that walk disorderly. If people are going to walk disorderly, stay away from them. What do I do with my mother? And she cusses and drinks and stay away from her. Rebuke her and leave. That's what I believe in. Now, my family, any of you watching this, that's why I didn't come. I'm not going I don't want to be in the same town with my brother, much less I don't run into him in a shopping center. If I ran into him a sovereign sinner, I'll tell him to repent of his sin. He doesn't care about the truth. 
he said one time on the TV, he said, Mary, his wife's name is Mary. Mary is my theologian. I know that. You don't know anything about theology. I just thought, good grief. I wouldn't be proud to say that. Anyway, I'm going to get back to next message. I'm going to get back to the kingdom of God. Let us make us a name is what the Pentecostals have gotten into. That's what the Baptists are into. That's what my brother's into. I've made up my own doctrine, my own shem. Babylon mothered all idolatry upon self. Let me make up my own doctrine. That's what the Pentecostals are doing with their tongues. That's what they're doing with their faith healing. I want to know how in the world Oral Roberts knew that Jesus was 900 feet tall. He had it in the news that Jesus was 900 feet tall. What did he do? Did he stay on the ground and told Richard, I've got a tape measure here and I've got this balloon. I want you to go up in the air and go to the top of this image of Jesus and yell down at me, Dad, he's 900 feet tall. Idiocy. Stupid. And Jesus said, if anybody says they're seeing me, nobody's seeing me. The next time the world sees me, it'll be as everybody in the world, every eye shall see him. I hate Pentecostalism. I didn't say I hate Pentecostals because we got people here who used to be Pentecostals. I had one lady who used to come here, uh, Wendy, and she... She was funny. She said she used to be a Pentecostal. She said, I'd get in these crying jags at the back of the church. I'd just start speaking in tongues and and booing. (laughs) I asked her, I said, do you speak in tongues? She said, yeah, I was something else. She'd just laugh at herself. When, When you come out of that, you find out what it's actually about. You're embarrassed or you laugh at what you used to do. There's so much more that I could tell you, but all of this is insanity. The whole world is insane. The Baptists are crazy. They they believe in water baptism, and they don't want to know that baptize does not mean to sprinkle with water or to dip into water. It doesn't mean that. It was originally, what gets me, go to McClinic and Strong and look up baptize. In the first paragraph, Mr. Strong will tell you, baptizo not being a verb. He said it is not a verb implying motion. In the first paragraph, to dip would be a verb, wouldn't it? That would show action. He says in the first paragraph, he says it is a verbal noun. I know what a verbal noun is from high school. It's an infinitive. That's a noun with verbal character to it. And he'll tell you that, McClinton Strong. And then if you look up baptize in the in the Strong's Concordance, it will say baptizo. And it'll say C, it'll give you a number, and it'll be Bapto. Baptism means to 
whelm or to overwhelm. To whelm does not mean to dip somebody downward. It doesn't mean that. It means to cover something with. It has the basic same meaning as the word epi. It means to cover. It means there has to be an outer source that's going to send a covering of standing and dying. And a blood baptism was a death. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Yes. Not in water. In the blood of Christ. He's washed from our sins in his own blood. And baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh. Not literal. But the answer of a good conscience toward God. I read, I read part of a, a verse the other day. A few weeks ago. Do I have any time? Four minutes. I'll just give you this. It's in the 16th chapter of Mark. In the 16th chapter of Mark, the Bible says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That cannot possibly mean water. He that believeth and is blood baptized shall be saved. Not he that believeth and is baptized in water, because baptized doesn't mean water. And Jesus couldn't possibly have been saying, he that believeth and is baptized in water. And the, and the, and the uh, Church of Christ used that verse to prove water baptism. It doesn't prove water baptism. Baptized in the first century, they knew what it meant. It meant to cover with a stain or die. It was a household term that women used to stain and dye clothes. Mr. Robert Baker Girdlestone tells you that. And I believe this is why they left out the last 12 verses of Mark 16 because of that verse. Because nobody knew what baptized meant. We, I will never dip anybody in water any time in my life. That was a proselyte baptism of the Pharisees. Y'all realize how much false doctrine is going on in the world? How crazy and insane the world is? You can't hardly find a church anywhere that wants to define anything and tell you the truth. John MacArthur doesn't. And he actually knows the truth about baptism and Christmas. But he's got a big seminary and he's got a big church and he's got lots of custodians, lots of teachers. He's got a gigantic monthly or weekly financial problem paying all these salaries. So he can't change. He'd have to rent out that building as a garage, a parking garage or something. Because all the people, most of them would quit if he changed. I love you, John, but I can't handle your twisting the Scriptures. I'm going to quit right here. I've got so much more to go on this. I just wanted you to know that the Pentecostals, the Baptists, the Charismatics, they're all crazy. And when a man's crazy, he'll say things that are just not true. And that's what they're doing. They're lying. 
How many people would stand in front of a camera and say that and say, now send these tapes all over America and put it on the Internet so you can tell all the Baptists I said they were lying. Tell the Pentecostals I said they're telling lies. Well, is that any different than Jesus standing in front of the Pharisees saying, saying, you, your father's the devil. The works of your father you will do. That's not any different because they are the most religious men of the day. And you're snakes. I've got a shirt at the back of it. says, says uh, Benny Hinn is a snake oil salesman. And it's got, uh, for the S's, it's got snakes with their tongue sticking out. And that's what he is. He's a snake oil salesman. He's not healing anybody. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, sometimes I get wound up against these lying false teachers. Give me strength to continue this. The world needs to hear it, that they are not telling truth. Lord, I'm so tired. Give me strength to keep teaching. I've got so many aches and pains. You help me, Lord. I don't know what I need to do other than continue and go to my doctors. I pray you'll fight our battles for us. Lord, help the flock here. They, I know they get discouraged and depressed, and they're supposed to. Help them understand that. You can't be living in a pit hole where there's no light around except you and be encouraged about it. We'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Well, maybe the Pentecostals and the Baptists will be mad at me. Maybe some of them will be mad enough. Guess what I got for you? Check. Got a present. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good man. <laughs> I don't know about that. Hey, Chris, what you doing? They probably got a newer. They probably got a newer volume of that. Yeah, I just searched it earlier and it didn't come up exact. So my ISBN and see if I can locate it. You want to make sure they have the origins of the words. They can get happy in the same sense as the people who say this. They can get happy in the same sense they got mad at. That's right. Oh, you tell a Pentecostal that they're they're not speaking in tongues, and they'll go from praising God to cussing you. That's what they'll do. <laughs>